If you're going to build something from nothing, you've got to know what really works. I took a $1,000 loan and built a $5 billion business, and now I make smart investments in new businesses on Shark Tank. This is Barbara Corcoran, and you're listening to Business Unusual. So I'm sitting here today with one of my most favorite people in the whole world, and I'm telling him this in hopes that he doesn't hit me up for another raise. It's Mike Stevens in my office. And Mike is actually the guy behind all the entrepreneurs that I invested in Shark Tank. Lots of people think I'm doing the heavy lifting, working with an entrepreneur day in and day out. I work with my entrepreneurs, no doubt. Number one, I invest in them. That counts for a lot. But who's the guy that makes sure that the entrepreneurs we get our hands on wind up being as successful as they possibly can be? It's Mike Stevens. Say hi, Mike. How you doing, Barb? I'm doing okay, Mike, as you well know, because we sit in the same office together, work every day together, can finish each other's sentences, know each other's jokes. I just wish you were about 40 years older. I would have married you. No doubt in my mind, but instead I got my old husband, I won't Bill. tell Bill. Oh, yeah. Don't tell Bill. <laughs> tell we don't Bill. tell Bill a lot of stuff. So, Mike, I'm asked all the time by other business people, what was your background? Mm. How does he know to run those businesses? Did he have special education? Mm-hmm. Uh, my answer usually is, I don't think so. He graduated from Columbia Undergraduate School, and I don't think he had any business training. So tell me a little bit about that. Surely there had to be stuff that you were able to pull from, or maybe an advantage not being able to pull from anything. What do you say to that? So Columbia is a liberal arts school, and they don't have an undergraduate business school, that amazing graduate business school. But for me, things that Aside from the classes I was taking at Columbia, one, I had the opportunity to play football there. So I was managing a full class schedule and athletics, and there's no better training for organization and keeping on top of things than essentially going to school and having what amounts to a full-time job. And then also I was lucky enough to be a two-time captain at Columbia. And so I had the opportunity to be in a leadership position and, you know, manage other peers. So those are all applicable to what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. But then as far as training for this job and the business and finance side of things, I was lucky enough, the person who had held the position before me with you helped me uh, along in the early going. But the other uh, people who run the Sharks businesses, they helped me at any opportunity they had. And so I had all these lifelines and resources where I could get on the phone and say, hey, how are you doing this? What are your best practices? And now I've done it with you for over six and a half years. You learn on the job. It's like going to business school every day for me. I learn something new every day. And one of the best parts of the job is I get to work with brilliant people, not only you, the other sharks, the people who run the other sharks' businesses, but we work with some really brilliant entrepreneurs. And I learn something new from them every day. Uh, There's one other thing you do that I've never seen before in anyone I've worked with, which is if I've asked you a question about some nuance having to do with an arena that I know nothing about that you know nothing about, uh, next thing I know it, you've read three books on the subject, and by Monday the following week, you know everything about it. Your desire for knowledge and for being uh, able to answer a question or access material that you've never learned through anyone else's prompting, you prompt yourself on. That, for me, is such an admirable trait because so many people go through any occupation thinking that 80% of what they use day in and day out is good enough. You take on like 180% of what you need for your day-to-day work. So that gives you, uh, it's got to affect your confidence. 
but it certainly affects me as a boss, my confidence in you. It's like phenomenal. I feel like I not only have you as someone running the businesses, but I got for free the New York Public Library. <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> Uh, while I was at school, I was a political science major, had planned on going to law school. My dad, who has his law degree, basically told me, don't do it. <laughs> Great endorsement <laughs> for a term. I would agree with him. Okay. And so I knew I wanted to do something kind of centered around deal making, working with a bunch of different businesses. It, I knew it was going to be beneficial to me to see all sorts of businesses, not just one type. So by luck, by happenstance, the gentleman who was in the same position before me working with you, he was a Columbia Business School graduate, posted it online, I saw it. Oh, I forgot he did that, yeah. I applied and maybe two interviews uh, within the week. And then uh, that following Sunday, I was flying out to uh, LA to sit on the set with you and uh, start <laughs> working on quick, Shark Tank. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I see somebody I like in any situation, the last thing I want to happen is somebody else gives them a job offer. So I pretty much am like an attack dog. Yeah, the minute I see someone that I think fits into the organization that has a lot of promise, and that was certainly you. Let me give you a little uh, sidewinder on the interview process with Mike. When I hired Mike, I totally trusted my gut. We had a parade of people coming in who had tremendous business backgrounds, who knew the ropes. It would take no training time whatsoever, and they were fully capable both on their resume and with all of their answers. But what I decided to hire instead was attitude. And what Mike had was a positive attitude and a willingness to learn anything, and he was hungry to learn it. And that's what I put my money on. I remember asking you in the interview, what's the most important thing to you now that you're getting out into the working world? Because you were just graduating from college. And do you remember what you answered me? Yeah, I mean, I had told you that it was repaying my parents and my, and my family for putting me through school. Okay, what, what do you hear when you listen to that? A nice guy, right? I can tell you most kids I interview in New York City just getting out of school don't even have the thought of paying their parents back. And so that was like, wow, cool guy. And do you remember when I asked you about your mother, what mm -hmm. your answer was? You really do. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember I told you that she was, uh, you know, one of the hardest working people that I knew. While I was going through high school, she was working at a real estate brokerage in town. And so when I went to school, she was, uh, you know, she was headed off to work. Uh, but I was lucky. Both my parents were that way. My dad's a pilot. I mentioned he had a law degree earlier. He was going to law school at night while I was uh, finishing up high school. So I had two great role models. Wow, that's amazing. Well, of course, you know why I really asked Mike what his mother was like? Because I found as a woman, very often uh, men don't really want to report to a woman. So I had to hear or find a clever way of figuring out what his attitude toward women are. And I generally find that all men get their attitude toward all women from their attitude toward their own mother. And that's why I asked that question. Okay, now we're going to move on to Shark Tank. So can you blame me for hiring this guy? And if anybody dare offers him a job who's listening, um, I just want you to know I've totally made up his real name so that you can't even find this guy, okay? Mike, first a few details that you know second nature that other people don't know. How hard is it for entrepreneurs to get on Shark Tank? Over the past few years, I know for each season, they've had upwards of 30,000 applicants 
for, wow. for for each season. And then out of that 30,000, roughly only 150 end up making it to LA to pitch to the Sharks. And not even all those businesses actually get on set to pitch. So it's more selective than, uh, than getting into Harvard. Wow. Now, another detail I'll add to that is picture all these entrepreneurs finally making it out there, really believing they're going to get on set. They don't all get on set, but they're held in large trailers. Each guy gets his guy, a gal or a couple or whatever, gets their own trailer and they're sitting in the hot parking lot of LA waiting to get on set all day long. Hmm, not an easy challenge. Next question. Who do you think is the smartest shark? Other than me, of course. You could leave me out of that because I know I am. But other than me, who is the smartest shark? I think all the sharks have something oh, to offer. Oh, come on, Mike. I, I, a little, let's ju- just for sake of the question, too, maybe I'm a little biased. I'm from Dallas originally. So I think Mark is uh, <laughs> is incredibly smart. I've spent the most time around Mark and Kevin. I've learned a lot from Kevin. And not all of it probably very useful. I'll tell you, <laughs> it, you know, he has a, a story for everything and thinks he knows something about everything. If but you he sit actually- he does know something. Yeah, about he's got everything. a story for everything. There's no yeah. doubt about it. But anytime I always kind of joke around with him and 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 his uh, the president of O'Leary Ventures, uh, Alex, that he'll say it'll be something totally obscure that comes on set, and he'll say, "Oh, I I know this space. I've seen this space before." Like, how could you know that? You know, maybe one thing that I've learned from him is uh, maybe fake it till you make it, or act like you know what you're talking about, and people will uh, will believe you. Well, so. really, you think he's faking it? Because I'm falling for this stuff. Whatever he says, he knows. I believe. I think you just need to follow up with every story he says and try and get a little bit a layer deeper and see what he really knows if he really knows what he's talking about. Okay, so you know a little bit more about Kevin than I do. How about uh, Robert Hershevik, Lori? No. Damon. All, all, all of them smart. Robert, I mean, I think people know this when they watch the set, but if it goes fast or it's uh, extreme or, you know, he's going to be up and, uh, and and trying it out or trying to invest. If it has invest. wheels, he's up. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Lori, amazing platform on QVC. And she's done a great job at, at, at picking products. There's no doubt about Don't it. Don't you think Lori's probably made more money on Shark Tank than any other shark? That's my theory. What do you think about that? You never know. It's it's like fishing stories with you guys. You know, the the fish is always a little bit larger when you guys <laughs> than it than it actually was. But yeah, I mean, she's definitely has some big winners. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it always comes to mind: Scrub Daddy, Bantam Bagels, Rita Rest, those products. What about Damon John? Yeah, Damon, uh, he he's brilliant too, and I think he's a brilliant marketer. Uh, I mean, he's really built a brand, and I mean, I know that's what his uh, you know part of his uh, whole business is built around, but. It's really interesting to see what companies come on set, and and he has an expertise, obviously, in textiles and and, uh, branding things, so he obviously has a lot to offer. You know, Damon, uh, for those of you who might not know it, grew up in the streets in a ghetto area of Brooklyn, uh, and he is, in my mind, the most people-smart shark on deals that I've done with Damon early on, he would say to me, don't trust that guy. I'm like, oh, no, come on. He's a great guy, great guy. Well, as it turns out, the entrepreneur was a con man. And they'll spot another one. I'll say, I'm not sold on her. I don't like her. I wouldn't trust her. And then what do you think happens? The money flies out the window. We never hear from her again. So what I have learned to respect in Damon more than anything else is his enormous, accurate judgment of the human that's in front of him right and i maybe that comes from getting uh you know having a tough childhood etc but um i have to respect him he's enormously accurate yeah you've always said that so i pay close attention when he's on set and and what uh you know he's taking the measure of the person so it's helpful to us too 
I think I'd have to, if I was weighing in, I think I'd have to say Mark is the smartest, but I must also admit that I'm probably influenced by the fact that he's the only billionaire. And there's something about once you're looking at a guy that's a billionaire instead of a millionaire, right away you start assigning to him certain really smart traits. So I don't really know. Maybe he's maybe he's the least smart Yeah, the extra shark. comma definitely helps. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and that swagger that that guy walks with, my God, right? So run us through the deal-making process. The uh, entrepreneur walks out onto the set. We don't know a darn thing mm -hmm. about the entrepreneur. The pitch happens. You're on every single pitch right. in every single season of Shark Tank. What do you see? What actually happens? Run us through how it all happens. Well, well, like you said, the Sharks haven't seen the businesses at all. So when those doors swing open, that's the first time you've seen them. You know, they pitch anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Afterwards, whether they get a deal or, or not, they're whisked away uh, to go meet with a psychologist immediately. And you know, why that, the psychiatrist? I think they want to uh, make sure that they uh, aren't too high, aren't too low afterwards, and we're able to kind of deal with the uh, barbs that were being thrown their way from the sharks. So, uh, also, I think that actually is a is mandated in Hollywood now in any reality shows. I think that's standard operating procedure. I think it's, but it surprises me. It's nice. It's a come down after, you know, uh, a high pressure situation. And you know what's good about that for you? Your job is once I commit to a deal and the, that you have to go to the trailer right. and start doing the due diligence process, meet them, shake their hand, get to know them. And I think that little cool down period with the psychologist might be helpful to you, especially if someone's overexcited, overexuberant or very sad. Yeah, no, I mean, and people have asked me before, Okay, well, what are the entrepreneurs like right after pitching? And and like you said, I get to go speak with them right after they've got offset. And what and are they like typically? Because I don't get. That I would advantage. say more than anything, exhausted. I oh, mean, really? Right. Wow, wow. It, it, so typically happy, right? But it, that's a pretty exhausting process answering questions for anywhere you know up to an hour and a half. But. At that point, we kind of get into the due diligence process. I sit down with them, ask some just very uh, quick questions, some basic questions, and then hand over our uh, kind of our due diligence materials uh, mm -hmm. and get them working on that. So we, there's you know no time to waste. For me, it's so important because I get to start building a relationship with them right away. Yeah, I get to put a face to a name, and I'm the person who they're dealing with on a day to day basis in our office. Of course, they get to speak with you, but mm -hmm. uh, you know for the most part, uh, I'm their contact. Mm -hmm. Uh, let me ask you, how deep is that due diligence when you're at the trailer? What are you handing them? How long does the due diligence process take? Well, for us, we're handing over a, just a general packet we use. It's kind of a misnomer, but it's a, you know, a 20 questions of sort. And you kind of had this even, uh, you know, prior to me starting. And I know some of the other sharks use it. But it's really a little bit of background information on themselves, on the entrepreneurs, and then on the business. And then we're afforded a lot of information from Shark Tank on the business. And then that process, that due diligence process can take anywhere from, you know, a month, six weeks, up to six months. It really depends on the business, the and structure that they do it. The entrepreneurs. Well, you can learn so much about the entrepreneurs and how quickly they get it back to you, mm -hmm. how organized they are, how organized the information is. Mm -hmm. So you get so much insight into the businesses because it's more than just the information they're putting down. It's how you get it, mm. uh, how it is working with the entrepreneurs, how quickly you can get it. I think there's a lot of reading between the lines that you can get in that process that is valuable to our investment decisions. You're listening to Business Unusual with Barbara Corcoran. We'll continue with my conversation with Mike Stevens in just a minute. And now back to my chat with Mike Stevens. 
But now we've had certain entrepreneurs we have not closed on because they were unable to even produce a financial statement. Am I right on that or exaggerating that? No, no, no. I mean, it's right. There are all sorts of things that we run into in due diligence, but that is a big uh, I, you know, a big ticket item. It's okay. Do they have their books in order? Do they have all their corporate governance uh, properly handled? And all the businesses are different. We get some businesses coming in with just a prototype. Yes, and they're pre-revenue. So it's hard to expect them to have all of their ducks in a row. And I can tell you from the huge success on the Comfy product that normally I would say, hey, somebody coming in with just a prototype, no numbers, no books, no idea really what it's going to cost to make, no idea what they could sell it for, nor who they could sell it to, that that's probably a really bad sign. And that happened last season in season nine, right? And tell them the end of that story. So all logic pointed to run for your life as Mm -hmm. an investor. And yet we closed on the deal based on gut instinct and just sheer confidence in the two brothers that proposed the product. And so with nothing in hand, let them know the ending of that story. Interesting lesson on how to value a business. Yeah, well, they came on set with nothing but a prototype and a jingle. Cute jingle. (laughs) And they could both kind of sing. Yeah. Yeah. But a year into the business now, maybe 13 months at this point, they have over 40 million in retail sales. Remarkable. It's it's incredible. And what did I pay for what share of my business? I can't even remember, but I know it's a hell of a good deal right now. 50,000 for 30% of the business. Not bad. Not bad. Not a bad return. (laughs) So the lesson there is you could ask all the questions you want on Shark Tank. You could talk about valuations, overvalued, undervalued, blah, 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 that all the guys are constantly yakking on and on about, but sometimes the most pure valuation in the world is, what's my gut saying? I like these guys. I believe they're going to pull it out. And they did, right? Bingo. That's a happy story. But we have five miserable stories for every one happy story I want you to know. Am I right or am I exaggerating? Not all of them are successful. That's part of it. That's the business. That's the business we're in. Okay. What's been the biggest or name a few big surprises you found out working on the Shark Tank set and working with the entrepreneurs that you go, wow, really? There shouldn't be any by this point, by the way. You should have seen it all. But is there anything left that surprises you? No. Well, something unique and give a little insight to, to the people who are listening. While you're questioning the entrepreneurs on set, I'm back behind the scenes watching on a big uh, TV screen, and so are the other sharks, for lack of a better term, me, right, who, who, who hold the same position. And it's interesting to see how the entrepreneurs are answering questions and kind of the, the image that, that we get of them. And, and it's hard Ooh. sometimes to shed that. For instance, hire Santa that came on this, this past right. season. 100 Santa Claus. Yeah, 100 on Santa Claus with him. Mitch. He's, uh, he's jolly. He's given a great pitch, very high energy. And then I go meet with him in the trailer. And it's hard to disassociate Mitch the Santa and Mitch, <laughs> Mitch, Mitch the businessman. But as far as being surprised by the businesses, that's why we do the due diligence, right? Something that someone says on set, whether it's, uh, yes, I have a patent or I have X amount in sales. And then you go back and you try and reconcile that with the information you give. Sometimes they don't own the patent. They don't have the sales. At this point, we've seen so many things like that. I don't get surprised. Uh, you know, you're almost now in my mind, I'm trying to check off those boxes. But that just comes with it, right? You're in your 10th season. I've been with you for six seasons now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think there's nothing that surprises me per se. 
when you're sitting back there watching the show, because we're on the set doing the show, you're watching the show, you have access to computers, your cell phone, are you automatically checking out what they're saying, uh, surfing to see what their competition is, trying to get more information immediately on them? And does it, is it painful to you if you're finding out things online that just aren't holding up already and I'm sitting there saying, I'll make you a deal? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm kind of living and dying with the decisions you're making back there. I mean, I'll audibly say, don't. Don't do it. No, don't make that offer. So yeah, as soon as we see the entrepreneurs come out, I'm taking notes back there, but I'm definitely online searching to see what I can find and 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 almost fact checking in real time to see if uh, you know what they're saying is true. If you can you know figure any of it out. And truth be told, you can find out a lot about the businesses. If only in, I in had a hot wire to you where you could whisper in my ear and go. I know sometimes don't I want to run up. On, <laughs> I'm waving behind the cameras trying to. But uh, don't do it. Don't I do always, it. I always find it interesting after words to come up on set and talk with you and say, okay, well, what do you see in the business? What excites you about it? There's always an angle that you see that I may not see. Yeah, but let me tell you something. There's an angle you're seeing and a little bit more angles because you're not there performing, which I am, right? And trying yeah, to get my TV. words in. Yeah. But I'll tell you, when you walk up onto the set after every pitch, one look at you, we know each other well enough, one look at your eyes, I know if I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible feeling. It's almost like I want to look at my notepad instead of looking up at you because if I've just made another walk I don't want to know about it till the next day because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still have to perform and keep my face up. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, are there any entrepreneurs uh, that turned out to be, like for me, it's the Comfy Brothers this last mm -hmm. season. A big surprise was the Comfy Brothers. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Have nothing and make so much of it. Right. Anyone who surprised you in the other direction, you thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. This person, this business is amazing. And then nothing ever comes of it or it's a, a terrific well, disappointment. Not singling out one business but somewhat the structure of the teams right we're so heavily swayed by companies that were founded by teams and and partnerships we like partnerships well, yeah. well there's a good reason almost every most successful business we've invested in has been a partnership and i have to tell you when two people walk onto the set or three i look at them and i maybe it sounds greedy but i think oh good two for the price of one even better three for the price of one well that's the benefit i, I mean you get entrepreneurs with complementary skill sets that is which really is so true. important and and i know we've talked about this before it's rare to find an entrepreneur that has all of the traits of great entrepreneurs that we've kind of identified. But when you get teams involved and you get multiple founders involved, one person is a great salesman, the other's great uh, with organization, or one's, you know, a great marketer and the other is whatever it may be. Opposites. Uh, yeah, opposites. But speaking to, okay, surprised, we've made some investments in businesses where the partnerships seem rock solid. The Ooh. entrepreneurs seem rock solid. And then, you know, six months, 12 months down the line, there's discord mm. in the relationship. And that... Would you say that's the number one cause why businesses fail on the ones we've invested in? Differences in partnerships? It has proven to be the case with several of the deals that we've done over the years and even deals that, that you had on the books, uh, you know, before I started. And it's hard to gauge that. I don't think they're putting on a face, but it's like anything. As you grow and things change and maybe the business is growing too fast for one and not for or whatever it may be. But yeah, I have found that that's more surprising to me than anything. They're best friends when they're on set. They're best friends when we're going through due diligence and things, you know, may change. But for every example we have going that direction, we've got two or three investments where it's 
founding teams and partners that are blowing it out of the water. So it's still for us an important thing. Uh, but we're learning every day, you know, to look for those red flags that may signal issues in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm actually sitting here and I'm tracking through all the years, all the partnerships that went awry because mm-hmm. of partner differences. And I'm thinking that usually the uh, problem is with the partner who put in the initial money, the capital gets started, is usually the one that leaves, not the person who had the idea. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm just tracking through a lot of different people in my head. And isn't that a pattern? The guy who puts up the money versus the person who had the idea usually gets disgruntled and leaves the partnership. Well, I think that potentially that has something to do with the passion behind it, right? The person that has the idea mm. has that spark, that passion to see it through, or potentially the money man, for lack of a better term, maybe doesn't have that uh, resiliency to stick with it. But to me, maybe not even so much in that direction. It's a lack of communication, and hindsight is twenty twenty. but a lack of clear delineation of roles. Absolutely. Good fences make good neighbors. I know it's a cliche, but it didn't exist in each of those partnerships. But even in your business, when you were building the Corcoran Group, you had Esther. Thank God. And you guys couldn't be more different, but your skill sets were perfectly complementary. Well, she was exceptional at the things that I was terrible at, and I was exceptional at what she was terrible at. So we couldn't be better partners. Right. Yeah. And if you think about our our most stellar entrepreneurs that are partnerships, I have to say there is not a single exception where they don't have that phenomenal combination. Am I right? No, that's definitely true. I mean, think of examples, Grace and Lace, Mm -hmm. Rick and Melissa. Couldn't be more different. Melissa, a design dynamo. And she's not only a design dynamo, she's put together a great design team, knows what's on trend, has a fanatical base of customers that want to see what are you putting out next and and what's next as far as uh, clothing line items, things like that. And Rick... He knows not to touch that, and he works Doesn't just even have on an the inkling uh, of interest. Yeah, he's just working on the on, on the back end and on the financial side, and and on what Melissa deems you know the more boring parts of the business. Now, part of that probably has to do with the husband wife team. He knows you know happy wife, happy life, <laughs> not to mess with the design side. But but he's yeah. phenomenal at the other side of the business. Yeah, well, and he's a serial entrepreneur, right? Yes. He, he had done it two times before starting Grace and Lace with M- Melissa, and the same thing. Jim and Sabin. Yeah, was Jim and Sabin of Cousins Maine Lobster on first blush looks similar. They're both charismatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can hold your attention in any situation. Uh, they both are salespeople by nature. So what is the difference between those two? Because they are ideal partners. They have so many arms to mm. the business that, you know, for a while, e-commerce was Jim's baby. And then Saban was kind of on the front end and working with franchise. So maybe it's not so much, yes, do they have complementary skill set? Yes. But they also have a clear, okay, I'm going to work on this piece of the business. You focus on this piece of the business. They divide up everything. Yeah, and I think we found with companies or or partnerships that start to dissolve, it's a stepping on each other's toes. He has more than me. She has more than me. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The cat fighting starts. So what's your uh, friends, your peer group think of you 
working on Shark Tank, running back and forth between Hollywood and here, mm-hmm. and uh, getting all this. Uh, you've been in a number of the episodes on Shark right. Tank, so you even perform right. a little, right? right. Uh, what do they say? Does it give you any social cachet with them? Does, do they think you're an odd duck? Do they think you're out of your mind? What goes on? Oh, it's always a great conversation starter. I think that's, that's uh, you know, the biggest piece of it. And, and they're always interested. They want to know behind the scenes things. They want to know, hey, what happened to this business? And they really think I'm the expert on any Shark Tank business. So I always have to <laughs> And by the I way, I think you are. <laughs> I think you are. And it's not just about, hey, how's Cousins Maine Lobster doing or one of the other portfolio businesses doing? It's, hey, is Mr. Wonderful really that big of a jerk? Or, you know, what's, uh, what's Damon like? Or, you know, all those things. Or how do the deals get done? So, uh, yeah, I mean, my friends are definitely interested. And, and, and it is, uh, it's obviously a unique position. There's not a lot of people who are doing, you know, similar things uh, by way of working with the Sharks. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful for it every day. So you're at a, you're at a park. And people say, so what do you do for a living? What do you say? I. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the curious. Honest, the, yeah, honest the, answer. Only the honest answer. The, the, the honest answer, typically I say, oh, you know, I work for an angel investor. And then if they follow up with that, then, oh, well, yeah. And typically my friends like to chime in, oh, you don't know Shark Tank. Have you watched Shark Tank before? <laughs> oh, he works for Barbara Corcoran. So, uh, you know, it's that sort of thing. But no, when people ask, I say, I work for Barbara Corcoran. I help manage a Shark Tank portfolio. And, uh, you know, then the questions start to flood in and they want to know more. And, and, you know, a lot of it's, you know, what's it like working for Barb and, and that, that sort of thing. But listen, it's always interesting. There's always something new here at the office every day because not only are you, do you keep us on our toes, but I get to work with, you know, 35 plus businesses just in your Shark Tank portfolio. And it's something new every day. So keeps it fresh. I'm excited to come into the office every day. So it's a great thing. Okay, for the record, say it for the record. You're not going anywhere, are you? I'm not going anywhere, for the record. And just for the people listening, his name ain't Mike. His last name ain't Steven, so you can't find him. So, Mike, one last question. When are you and Lily getting married? She's such a great gal. She's definitely the one. Uh-huh. But I can't give you a date yet. They would I'll ruin the surprise Lily. for her. I'll ask Lily. Okay. Every woman's you got the date line. in her head. You have a direct line. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for sharing all your input. Thank you. I appreciate it. Pleasure. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success on Business Unusual. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio Podcast Network. Be sure to follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.